Okay, if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, that's on page 837. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided, chair back pockets, middle, end of those aisles. If you don't have a Bible, please take a Bible today. It can be our gift to you. Uh, Please just take it. Begin Ephesians chapter 4, page 837, if you're using one of these Bibles. So you may recall, the Apostle Paul has been writing about how God's infinite grace impacts how we do church. 16 verses in all, but well summarized, as we talked about last week, in three famous lines from the Irish band U2 in their 1991 song, One. All right, so I want you this morning, we remember it from last week, right? To sing it with, please say it with me. You ready? Come on. Oh, we got to do that again. That was, we just were slow, you know, we're in the studio, we'll do another take. All right, one more. Come on, Grant. We're not the same. There you go. Yeah. Carry each other. Carry each other. On. Wonderful, guys. That is so good. Honestly, I might send that in. Bono's going to hear from me. Well, okay, so that's, that gives you a very brief summary of the 16 verses that open chapter 4. We are one, all right? Jesus calls us to together walk with him. One faith, one Lord, one hope, one spirit, all of these ones, and we do so with, with humility and bearing with one another, but we're not the same. Jesus gives us a unique mix of gifts that makes each of us different, and that's what we see in verse 7 of chapter 4, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. With those gifts, we get to carry each other. And that starts in verse 8. Read that with me and along with with me if you would. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. There's a parenthesis here. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we, we talk about this sort of third part of doing church, of of carrying each other. We ask that you would illuminate your word this morning so we might understand both how it fits together and how it applies to our lives. We ask sincerely and with great 
desperation in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so we, we pray, as we should for the Spirit's help, because, and you know this probably from experience, the Bible can be very hard to understand at times. It's hard to see how it fits together when you read basically what is here in the Greek, original Greek, one long, long run-on sentence. It's difficult. There are times when the Bible is very straightforward, right? When Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or, or, or when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We get that. Or even when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We, we can get those things. We understand those things. And, and if we read our passage this morning, I think we can at least get the basic gist of it, right? God gives each Christian different gifts, and when we use those gifts, God builds his church. God grows his church. That doesn't answer all our questions, though, right? All the questions we could ask about this passage, and probably should. Like, why does Paul quote an Old Testament psalm that talks about leading a host of captives? What does that have to do with our gifts and using them to serve others? Or what about, why does Paul list some gifts and not others? So he includes apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers, but he leaves out 17 other gifts that he lists elsewhere. Why is that? Let's start with that last question so we try to see, with God's help, how all of this sort of fits together. So last week we discussed that when a person trusts their life to Jesus, God fills their life, God fills a human being with his presence. So, so he fills their life so full, in fact, that his, his presence overflows. It overflows so that there's some left over to give to others, if that's a way to think about it. It, it overflows in these unique expressions of God's character called spiritual gifts that we can hand to others, that we can show other people. And no two persons have the same mix of gifts, which is wonderful. We learned last week that there are two broad categories of gifts. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And later in the New Testament, after Ephesians, the Apostle Peter says this quite, in a quite straightforward manner. He says this in 1 Peter 4, Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So you have people who speak well, who are gifted in speaking, and they're supposed to speak in a way that points to God's truth. Then you have people who serve and they serve well, and they do so being strengthened by God to help one another. Speaking gifts, Serving gifts. And serving gifts include the obvious ones, things like helps, administration, giving, mercy, faith, healing, marriage, and celibacy. Did you know those are listed as charismata, as gifts? They are indeed. Those are the more obvious ones in which there's not a lot of necessarily speech involved. It's mostly serving. But what do we see listed in our passage this morning? We see apostolic gifting, prophetic gifting, evangelism, teaching, pastor. Apostolic gifting is would now be, be being sent as a missionary to plant churches as people speak the gospel and call others to leadership. They're people who are sent out to speak. 
prophetic giftings, or, or when people receive and share messages that God seems to be bringing to mind, and they relay to other Christians. You have evangelism, sharing the good news about Jesus with other people. You have te- uh, teaching. You have pastoring. So what do we see in our, our, our passage? We see primarily speaking gifts, don't we? People who, who use their mouths to bless and build up other people. So Paul isn't writing here necessarily about church leaders, as some think. Otherwise, we'd see elders and deacons, where he mentions everywhere else as people who are called to lead the church. That's not what we see here. The Apostle Paul is, is issuing a special call to those with speaking gifts. A special, people with speaking gifts bear a special responsibility to use their gifts to help grow the church and God's kingdom. Now, if that's not you this morning, if you have very clearly have serving gifts, it doesn't mean that God doesn't use you to help build his church, grow his kingdom. Of course he does, absolutely. It's just that here in this passage, and this is the passage I get to preach, he's talking, he's emphasizing speaking gifts. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, if we look closely, Paul tells us that every follower of Jesus has the potential to be tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. And it says here in verse 14, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. All right, so we need those of you who have speaking gifts to use them because the world is constantly trying to deceive us, to scheme. It's constantly luring us with lies and with half-truths that are spoken so often that it's hard not to believe them, isn't it? So for example, the world tells us that our biggest problem isn't sin, it's imbalance. Our biggest problem is that we're too hard on ourselves. Our biggest problem is that we don't have enough, and so we need more. So our biggest need isn't a Savior who, who can give us God with us forever. That's not our biggest need. The world tells us our biggest need is escape. It's ease. It's opportunity. It's more stuff or just more period. That's what the world tells us their biggest needs. Um, so these kinds of lies that the world tells us were really well illustrated for me recently uh, by a series of commercials. I watched, I watched more TV than I'm proud of, but, uh, especially sports. But I, there was a series of commercials by an online broker for stock trading. All right, and it begins... If you can see this commercial with me, it begins by you looking at someone else's life, okay? And, and it's very uh, gender-based. It's gender-targeted, all right? So, so there's, a, there's a female commercial. There's a woman commercial. And in that commercial, you're a woman looking at another woman, and she, is, she was the first to start doing yoga, right? And she goes to all these destinations where you see her stretching, right? Like over cliffs, overlooking oceans. There's a mountain in the background and another one. And it says all her... All her all her uh, sunsets are hashtag no filter. All right, and then, and then, and then in another commercial, there, there's a man. As a man, you see another man who made something of himself. He's likable, very likable. And because he's your brother-in-law, you're, you're a little bit, you know, surprised that he's won the approval of your father, which is an approval hard one. And in both commercials, it kind of ends by saying, you love that person. You love them. You would just love them more if you made more money than them. Now, okay. Now, interesting, clever, but you see how diabolical that message is? Seriously. Not just that message, but it's the kinds of messages the world gives us. It's trying to say 
that you can both love people, you can both love well and covet. You can both have perfect love, express it, experience it, and quote-unquote pursue the good life at all costs. And it's those kinds of of half-truths and lies that the world tells us that are so easy to buy into that we need people who speak the truth to us. Because we're immersed in a world that's hostile to God and communicating untruths. So at every opportunity we gather on Sundays, community groups, on the beach, when we run into one another at Kirk's Market, we need those gifted to speak their gifts to remind us of what's true and what's good and what's sufficient in Jesus Christ. We need that. So before we go further, I want to point out two misunderstandings about speaking gifts that I want to address pretty head on. Two misunderstandings. Misunderstanding number one, that you need a microphone, right? You need a microphone to possess a speaking gift. So when you think of a speaking gift at, at work in a church, you may think of, of, of myself or, or Pastor Brad, or you might think of the worship team, or you might think of maybe even our elders, or, or you think of community group, community group leaders leading a group. But it goes way beyond that. But let, me, let me broaden our horizons a little bit, if I, if I might. So if people pay attention to you, just people just generally seem to pay attention when you communicate your passions, you may in fact have a speaking gift. If you're a parent, if you're the parent who gets across important messages to your children, that's you, you may very well have a speaking gift. If you're the kind of person who takes, likes to take difficult concepts and immediately relate it to the stuff of life, even if it's in your mind, difficult concepts, complex structures, difficult things, you, you relate it to everyday life stuff, you may have a speaking gift. When you see someone down and your first inclination, your first impulse is to cheer them up with words, you probably have a speaking gift. If you're good at just drawing people into conversation and saying things in the way you, you, what you exude warmth and, and you like to draw people with questions and other things into conversation, and you, perhaps you've used this before to make friends or make a first date, all right? but you can use it in the church for God's glory as a speaking gift. If any of this applies to you, there's a good chance you've never considered yourself to have a speaking gift. And I get that. But you've considered that simply because you haven't been in front of a group of people or an audience. But friends, most spiritual gifts, most spiritual gifts are speaking gifts. So if we kind of extrapolate that and we look just by percentage, that means probably most of us here have speaking gifts, most likely. Misunderstanding number two is you need a Bible degree to use your speaking gift. All right. Strengthening your gift certainly requires a growing familiarity with the Bible. Absolutely. But you don't need to be an expert. So, so how can I use my gift to serve others? How, how might someone grow from my speaking the truth in love? How can I? We need to think about how do we practically do this. Well, let's, let's take a step back because this might be you. Many of us have speaking gifts, even if we haven't acknowledged it until the last two minutes. So how do you communicate God's truth and love? Especially maybe because you don't have a Bible degree. You don't know the Bible back and forth. Well, just t- take a moment to consider how people learn. People learn through good questions, word pictures, and stories. 
That's how people primarily learn today, right? Good questions, word pictures, and stories. And so it's not surprising that Jesus frequently used in his ministry good questions, word pictures, and stories when exercising his speaking gifts. And Jesus is a pretty good example for us to follow too. So let's, let's look at that for a moment. As Jesus listened well, he asked great questions. Questions like, what can I do for you? Like, why are you anxious? Or what are you thinking in your heart? He asked, Jesus did in his ministry, we, we know of over 300 questions because he knew that if people responded truthfully for themselves, they were much more likely to believe that truth for the long term. Right? If you say something for yourself, it becomes more concrete than if someone else says it for you or to you, right? Jesus knew that. He also used word pictures, often called parables. He, he had people picture in their minds the everyday stuff of life. And then he, he related things like farming and clothing and their employment and money and nature, trees they walk by every day, to communicate truth about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus talks about faith the size of a mustard seed, what do we picture in our mind? We picture this tiny little seed disappearing into the ground, thinking it might probably do nothing. It's not going to do anything until one day it grows into this great plant. The point of which is, of course, what counts is not the size of faith, but the size of the God who grows, right? But it's much better illustrated. It captures our attention, which is why we remember it today. Because Jesus gave us a word picture which we can express also. Jesus also used stories to communicate truth. So many of us know the joy of forgiveness, both the joy of forgiveness on the one hand and the isolation of pride on the other because of a wonderful story Jesus told about a prodigal or lost son who took all his father's wealth, squandered it, and returns to the father. The father welcomes him, but his older brother does not because of pride. And we know that that makes life miserable, and there's no life in that. We could be just taught that. Jesus could just tell us that, but instead he uses a story to communicate that truth, and it captures us. It's wonderful. So the challenge for us who have speaking gifts is to read the Bible, and as we read, as we read, listen out for good questions that we can use when dialoguing with other people, to creatively consider how key truths that we read in Scripture parallel the real stuff of life, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, the kinds of jobs we have, what we do in our free time, and also to tell stories that resonate with God's story. That's the challenge. And it's not an easy challenge because it means you've got to actually read the word and be thinking, how can I communicate this in a story or a word picture with questions that help people? And by the way, they don't even need to be your stories. Just ones that have kind of stuck with you. I'll give you one that I tell sometimes, uh, tell, tell people who are wondering how they can make a contribution or how they can make an impact that really matters in people's lives. And that's a question people think about often, right? A traveler in France is walking by a construction site. He's curious. He begins to ask the same question of each person he sees working. He asks them, what are you doing? So first he asks a stonemaker. And the stonemaker growls, can't you see I'm hewing stone? Then he asked the glass blower, like, what are you doing? Okay, can't you see I'm taking bits of colored glass and I'm putting them into concrete? Then he asked a blacksmith, what are you doing? He's saying, I'm forging iron for a window. Lastly, he sees an elderly woman behind the wall with her broom happily sweeping. 
And I asked her, what, what are you doing? She says, she says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. The truth there, hopefully that we see, is using your simple gift contributes to a purpose far greater than you and me that we can always have in mind when we feel down about our gifts. Now, I could just tell you that. Or you can remember the story of the woman who, though just sweeping behind the wall, sees that her purpose is making a contribution to a cathedral to the glory of God. Now, what's wonderful about our passage this morning is Paul also makes use of word pictures. In fact, two of them. To motivate us to use our gift and the knowledge that its contributions will, will contribute to something far greater than you or me. That's wonderful, right? He gives us these two word pictures. We've got to dig into them a little bit. We've got to dig for them, but they are there. One word picture is the human body, and the other word picture is a conquering king. So let's look at these here. Paul wants us to know that when those with speaking gifts use them, the church grows. And he uses the word picture to communicate this of a child who is easily swayed. Children, as wonderful as they are, they're easily convinced, they're very impressionable, they can be easily swayed. <laughs> Except from the parent, of course. The parents can't sway their own children, but by other people, right? Easily swayed. But when each part, every joint of the body works, the child grows into mature manhood. That's the gist of what we read here, right? So ever since Mason was a young boy, he has always loved to wrestle. He loves wrestling with me. And so he would jump on my shoulders, and then I would take him on my shoulders and twirl him around and twirl him around and throw him on the sofa, right? That sounds very dangerous, and then like I'm an irresponsible parent. But it was a big sofa, or a comfortable sofa, sometimes a bed, all right? And it was, it was pretty easy to do, and he'd always love to, to try to push against me, right? And push me like this, almost like, like Darth Vader style, like, and push me. But, you know, I could just sort of, boop, move him. But now, he still likes that. He still likes to jump on me, but when he jumps on me, it's borderline crippling, right? I fear for how I'm going to feel the next morning. Like, ah, because he's growing into a man. When he gets in my way, he pushes hard, and I actually have to, like, use all my strength to move him because he's growing into a man. So, too, is the body of Christ that uses its gifts. When they speak the truth in love, we grow into a rock-solid, impossible-to-move man together. Because we are maturing. We're no longer dependent on the pastor to fill us with truth all the time. We're filling ourselves with truth and speaking it to one another here and there. When a door opens, when we just are, are, are yearning to pass on something to someone else. Paul also wants us to know that when those with speaking gifts use them, the kingdom grows. So we see that the church grows when we're speaking gifts, the kingdom grows. And we see that in verses 8 through 10. The word picture Paul uses takes a little bit more work, but it's incredibly motivating. It, it, it's worth the work, so, so stick with me if you would. He uses a word picture of a conquering king. And as, as this king parades back into the city, he leads with him a train of captives and the spoils of victory. And so the people would have heard this, would have imagined that this train of captives coming with the king, spoils of victory, like precious riches, exotic spices, fine linens. And instead of the king holding on to all of these riches for himself in some private vault, he begins to hand out these gifts to his people. 
And, and, and you can think about it. As, as the parade disperses, each person takes their gifts from the king and they, they go back to their, to, the, to their place in the city. So the gifts are scattered throughout the city. Evidence of the king's love for them is spread throughout the city because he has been generous to give of his gifts. That's the word picture Paul has created here. And, 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 and as he uses this image, he quotes Psalm 68, verse, six, verse 18, sorry, Psalm 68, 18, to his very Roman cultured audience. And, and I say Roman culture because they were used to the spoils of war. They were used to victory parades. And so he says here, quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. I believe what Paul is also doing here in, in quoting the Old Testament book of Psalms is he's trying to connect us to the whole story of God, including way back in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God gave humanity dominion over the earth. He made them kings to lovingly rule over his creation. The birds of the sea, sorry, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, right? Humanity, however, made it clear that we didn't want to be ruled by someone else. We wanted all the rule for ourselves. So the ancient servant lied. He convinced us that God doesn't really know better than us. He's just trying to hold us down. So we rebelled. And we said no to God and yes to us. And when we rebelled, we lost dominion. We lost our rulership over the earth. We didn't lose it to God. We lost it to the serpent. We lost it to Satan himself. But because of God's great love for us, God returned to fight for and restore what was originally ours. This is wonderful. Paul reminds us how he achieved this, this victory. The God-man Jesus Christ, it says here, descended to the earth, descended to the earth to live a life of perfect obedience, a life we couldn't live, and then he died the death that we deserved. Now the serpent, when Jesus died, thought he had won the war against God. You can imagine the serpent celebrating, thinking, yes, the Son of God is dead. But then Jesus rises from the dead. After rising, he ascends into heaven. Jesus wins the war. He wins the war. He, he, he takes captive Satan and every spiritual force of evil. That's the, that's the captivity that Paul is talking about here. And now we get to be co-heirs with the king, with Jesus. King Jesus, we get to fill in his kingdom with him, restoring our rightful dominion over the earth. We, we fill in the kingdom of God. If that sounds familiar, turn one page. We looked at this before at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. When, we, 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 when the King Jesus was talked about here in a prayer, and he put all things under his feet, verses verse 22, chapter 1, he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So we've seen this theme before. It's a theme Paul comes back to, that we get to participate with God to fill in his kingdom. We join with Jesus to fill in his kingdom. How? By using our gifts. He gave gifts to men to join with Jesus, to spread his love and his goodness. And as we do so, the kingdom grows. Isn't that wonderful? Can we just step back and talk about the beautiful wisdom of God for a minute in this? I so want to. I will. <laughs> Some people wonder, why did Jesus leave in the first place? 
Why did he ascend into heaven? Why didn't he just walk around as his resurrected self? Well, Jesus ascended so that through the Holy Spirit, he could be present with people everywhere, not just in first century Palestine, as Jesus was. So now he sends his Holy Spirit for people who trust in Jesus. Now, follow me for a minute on this. What is lost, what is quote-unquote lost, when the Holy Spirit replaces Jesus on this earth? What is it that we so love about Jesus? We could see Jesus. We could touch Jesus. We had someone who could sympathize with our human weakness. We had someone who could understand every trial and temptation that we go through. So, Check this out. God devises an amazing plan to fill all things, to fill his kingdom by putting the Holy Spirit in persons who express tangible goodness and God's unique gifts. People can see them. They can touch them. They can see us. So the Holy Spirit is present everywhere. Jesus is present everywhere. Think about that. Through our use of our spiritual gifts, God can not only be everywhere, but he can visibly express himself everywhere through people like you and me, tangible expressions of his love. That means different characteristics of Jesus are expressed everywhere through these little incarnations called Christians. It's wonderful. And when others see that, they, they, want, they, they draw near, they want to be included, and God's kingdom grows. I, didn't, I don't think there could be a possibly more motivating picture of us using our gifts to serve others that we get to participate with the King of Kings in filling in his kingdom. Jesus has won back in restoring his kingdom, friends. He chooses to include you and me in this grand story of a glorious restoration. And when the king ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And as we use them, we get to join with him in filling in his kingdom. Let's pray. God, what an amazing privilege that we get to be part of your big story because you gave us your Holy Spirit to such an extent that we have these unique gifts. And by using them, we get to to join with you, King Jesus, in filling in your kingdom. That, that like that image of being given gifts from a king and, and scattering throughout the city, We get to take the tangible expressions of the riches of your love, unique expressions of your love, and share that with other people. Father, I pray for all of us here that each of us would be motivated then to step out in this great privilege to use our gifts to bless other people, knowing that this is part of God's plan to grow his kingdom, that we're joining with him. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for not only saving us by the gift of Jesus, but through the Holy Spirit, giving us extra gifts so we can bless others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.